everyone, I'm Khofane Mudise and welcome to Conversations with Khofane. Today I am joined by an incredible and beautiful lady with a perfect hairline, shall I say. <laughs> Thank um, you. <laughs> Banele Lukele, um, who is the executive head of the UCT Online High School. And we'll be talking about how UCT Online High School revolutionizes. Should I go back to school? <laughs> revolutionizes is revolutionizing um, education in South Africa. But before we get into that, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm fantastic. How do you feel about the high hairline thing? I know, like as a black woman. Look, I treated so I'm, the... I'm happy that you recognized <laughs> it. <laughs> so you're the executive head, executive head of um, UCT Online High School. How did I know this? I saw it on LinkedIn. And um, prior to this recording, we were talking about how you kind of your education journey and how you've been an academic um, for most of your life and transitioning to from music and having your own business now being an executive head of an online high school. Take us through that journey. Wow, it feels like a long journey, but I'm actually really young. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I did start in music. I've got a B mass and my main instruments were singing and piano. And then I went into music education. And when I was doing music education, I realized that the style of education is not for everybody. So we don't all learn the same. And so I started exploring teaching maths and sciences using music and drama. And that's how I got into like formal education, academic education. I ran a business for about eight years. And then I bumped into this opportunity, which is really very aligned with what I've been doing. Access to quality education, the flexibility of how you learn, the ability to actually make education available in the style that most learners need it, you know. Obviously, we can't accommodate all learners, but we try our best to accommodate most learners. And so I joined the organization and I've been here for just over two years now. Yeah, I think anyone with parents or who's just young has known the saying that the one thing that people can't take away from you is your education. Mm -hmm. And I believe that just resounds deeply with the life or life trajectory that you've taken. Um, why was education such a big part of who you are? I think my family background, there are a lot of teachers <laughs> in my family. Um, but also to your point, you know, no one can take away your mind and you can control how you learn, where you learn. Learning isn't limited to the teacher in front of you, especially now with technology. You know, you can learn about anything online and we're moving towards a type of education where you want to make sure that people have the right skills for an unpredictable future. We don't know the life that our learners are going to be living. If I look at when I was in primary school and what's happening now, I mean, the fact that people can just phone you wherever you are is already a change in my very short-lived life. Um, and so giving people the right skills is what we need to do. And that does come from education and life experiences. Absolutely. Um, before we even get to UCT and what differentiates it, what makes it so unique, um, I just, while I was listening to you, I was remembering, um, I was listening to Bob Proctor in an old, old interview. And he was talking about education and how the term education is derived from a Greek term, educo, and how that means being able to use the faculty of your mind to get whatever you want. And I was like, I want money, give me that. Um, but, you know, we talk a lot about education and I believe there's a difference between, like, let's say, the schooling institution and actual education and what that means. And how does, how do you think, because why you joined UCT, was there something that made you say these guys really value um, education and what it means and the value it's placing in, among students? Yes, definitely. So I am a strong believer in the fact that education is not about the final marks only. 
It's not about whether a learner knows one plus one equals two at the end of the academic year. It's about the whole individual. And at UCT Online High School, that's also something that we prioritize quite a lot. So understanding the importance of well-being, the psychological support, the virtual clubs, socializing as much as you can online. Also understanding that not everyone needs to be in a physical classroom to learn. There are some learners who can read something and automatically get it and giving them that flexibility to have control over their lives. So definitely aligned in terms of that, that it's really beyond what is expected of the curriculum and things that learners can probably explore for themselves. It is about understanding the whole individual as well as their family because we want to make sure that families are also empowered to support their learners and that comes across in things like protecting our price point, making sure that our education is affordable even though it is quality education. We don't want to exclude people on things that may be outside of their control. 100%. I mean, I think you just kind of answered it, but we can go into depth of, with how UCT Online High School, I mean, okay, all right, UCT, we get that, but Online High School? How does that work? How does it differentiate between the traditional brick and mortar type of high school? And I mean, I get that it's online, but what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> it means everything in the comfort of your home or wherever you have your laptop, actually. Um, and I think what's quite interesting in this industry or in this space is that there is also diversity in online high schools. So you do have online high schools that have taken the traditional schooling and brought it onto a screen the way that most schools did during COVID. So you do have timetable classrooms, you do have like small group sessions, they might also mimic the tutor or the TAT class sessions that you have in universities. What we've done at UCT Online High School, again, to differentiate people's needs and different learners' needs, we have afforded them the curriculum. So they have access to the curriculum that they can work through in their own time. And then we have facilitation sessions with our academic team. And even then, we have multiple roles in our academic team. We have people who focus on assessments, people who focus on marking, and then people who focus on the live sessions. And we try to protect that time so that they can really put a lot of effort and energy into the live time that they have with the learners, while anything that learners can learn on their own. So for example, pronouns in English, you would have been learning that since you were young. We don't want to consume an educator's time in repeating those things and boring learners, actually, because we also know that some learners get into a class and they're like, oh, we're doing this again, you know. So they have that level of flexibility where they can also assess, I actually do know this. So I want to move quickly through this one and then attending the live sessions to get the a more grade level kind of interventions that you would need in that subject yeah and a term that's been buzzing i think for quite some time is diversity it's inclusion so how do you how does this online high school kind of cater for the children i mean this is young adolescents pre teen mostly yeah <laughs> teenagers yeah you know all these diverse backgrounds different needs and wants and so on so how do you kind of cater for them that is an interesting question, particularly in South Africa. Yeah. So I think one of the best things about online schooling is that you're likely going to interact with people you wouldn't interact with if you were in a brick and mortar. Because a lot of people in a brick and mortar traditional school would go to a school that's close to them, which means you're likely in the same neighborhood, you've grown up in similar environments. With online schooling, you get to interact with learners who would have potentially traditionally been in a no-fee school. You might be in a suburb with a learner who is staying in a township, so there is also that level of interaction and understanding. 
in having that kind of diversity in the school, we then need to be very conscious of our content. We need to make sure that any content we choose would be accessible and understandable to any learner or as many learners as possible in South Africa. So even when you think about your practical examples, you have to think of what is the most accessible or relatable content mm -hmm. to learners. And we do also have learners outside of South Africa. So there needs to be some kind of global lens on that as well when, we, when we're looking at our examples. The other thing that we try to accommodate is reading levels. So it's not just a South African problem, it's a global problem, particularly post-COVID, where your reading levels and your mathematical levels are lower than the age that you would anticipate. So we're very conscious about the reading levels and the language that we use in our content so that it is understandable by all of the learners or as many of the learners that we can accommodate. Then we have barriers to learning. So you do have learners who, and barriers to learning are also a, a whole other spectrum on its own. So we need to look at how we accommodate learners who may be anxious, learners who struggle with uh, particular references. When we're looking at the life orientation curriculum as an example, like when you're looking at particular content that may be sensitive to some learners, how do you present it in a way that isn't triggering for learners who may have any barrier to learning or who may have some um, trauma related to that topic. Mm -hmm. So these are the questions we always ask ourselves when we are creating content, but also how we present our content. So we have a lot of written text because you, know, you would find that in any school, but we also wanna make sure that learners who have hearing disabilities are able to engage with that. So there is like different font sizes. They can also change some of the colors on important texts. They're able to zoom in and out of graphics if they have a visual impairment. We have various things that we try to plug into our content. So I think accessibility is much broader than access to quality education. And we do try to dig into that detail as much as possible. And where we can't, then we do have like our well-being team where they are referred to our well-being team so that we can have a better understanding of what are the needs for our community is there a way for us to support them in a way that can be broadly accessible or do you need to then go into the more individual accommodations for each of these learners yeah that's so brilliant um so let's talk about leadership now i mean it's such a unique organizational structure i would imagine i don't know how many how often you're in the quote-unquote office <laughs> Um, how do you, and I'm sure the challenges are also quite unique as well. Um, can you maybe take us through those particular challenges and how you try to avert them? Yes, I mean, I think it's quite interesting because we work remotely as well. So we also experience some of the challenges that our learners would experience. One of the big things about leadership is culture. Sure. How do you build a culture when firstly your staff body is also diverse. We all come from different backgrounds. We've all grown up differently, gone to different schools. Some people have gone to schools that aren't even equivalent to the school we're trying to build. So there's there are all of these complexities that you try to bring in. But I think community sharing is a big thing for us. So making sure that there's an opportunity for everybody to share their understanding and experience so that we can then provide something that's diverse. So we have our lived experiences as an opportunity to share there. And also balancing the professional with also the personal. You have to be very intentional about getting to know the people on your team because we're not in the staff room together. We are not like driving into the parking lot and saying hi and seeing the <laughs> children and bumping into each other at the mall. I mean, chances are there are people who stay like in my, in my area and you wouldn't who I know haven't it. met, you know. <laughs> 
Um, I mean, funny, the first time I met a lot of my team or some of my team members was a year into joining this organization. Otherwise, I hadn't met them in person. It was all virtual. So you have to be very intentional. And the nice thing about working in an environment like that is that you become intentional about the kind of school that you're running. Mm -hmm. So then we are very intentional about like virtual clubs. We realize that in the workspace, we need to be intentional about the social aspect. And so we have to be intentional in the school about the social aspect. Now it's about getting parents to understand their role in terms of what do you need to do to encourage your child to join a virtual club? Because it's not compulsory, but there's definitely benefits in that. So leadership in the online space is challenging. And I'm always watching a lot of podcasts, YouTube videos, <laughs> doing some courses around how to learn and, and build that. Um, I think also as an individual being open to feedback because what I might think is a good idea might not be a good idea for my team. So affording them the opportunity to say, you know, I know we have a social session every Friday, but I really don't want to socialize with people every Friday, you know? <laughs> so yeah, a lot of communication, being intentional, understanding the barriers and limitations because even in an online school there are things we can't do mm. and it's nice to be able to say that like yes in a brick and mortar you would have done this we can't do it online can we find an equivalent how close can we get to the equivalent and then accepting what you can't do because that's also an important part of being content and happy with the quality that you're putting out absolutely i'm sure some might argue that you still aren't able to humanize uh, the whole experience, whether from a leadership aspect or even amongst the students. Are they beyond or is, what is my question? My question really is, are, are parents or individuals or those who play devil's advocate asking too much when they try to say, well, why aren't you humanizing the experience? Try to find an excursion, etc." But maybe are they failing to understand that you're trying to be completely virtual? <laughs> I think that starts to boil down to personal preference, definitely, uh, yeah. you know, and it goes back to understanding what you can't do and the limitations of what we can't do. It doesn't mean other people can't do it either. So even if the school can't have an in-person excursion, it doesn't mean parents can't organize. And I think that's then when we start talking about sharing the responsibility of education and sharing the responsibility of learning and what that environment is. So we don't deter parents. We, we don't say like, you can't meet with somebody who stays down the road from you. So that's always an opportunity from them. It's just that as a school, we aren't able to do that. There's a limitation there. There will always be things that people aren't happy with. In terms of democratizing education and access to education, I think it's important for us to understand what's critical, you know. And even in terms of our team, now if somebody has a physical disability, they can still work for us. They don't have the barrier of like the building. Now the building has to be redone so that they can access the school or we need to find the money to do a ramp. Now we need fundraising. And instead of building a library, we're building a ramp because it's important. Accessibility is important. So there's a lot that already we accommodate for and we keep pushing those boundaries. But there's always room for improvement. So people will always have something that they want to add on to it open to the discussion but sometimes we just can't and the responsibility has to fall somewhere else absolutely i love the concept of sharing education it's not just the teacher's job or the principal's job the parents also need to participate and the students as well uh what's such a heavy reliance on technology 
right? How do you how do you look into innovation? Because already the concept of an online high school, I think it's quite innovative. But I, I do think that there are ways in which you look into okay, let's try to do more. And and what does more look like? How mm. do you even quantify what innovation means in such a heavily technological um, space? That's an interesting one. <laughs> Especially with AI being such a buzzword. Yeah, I'm and... going to have AI teachers. <laughs> I'm going to have a chatbot that's available. I mean, I'm giving you ideas. <laughs> Look, there, there are always opportunities with technology. And, you know, I mean, even when I was at school, the, the rolling projector was an advancement of technology. <laughs> you understand? So, like, this conversation can go in many directions. But I think what's important to understand is that there, there has to be human elements. We understand that. Even with something that's new, you do still have to understand it deeply. You need to understand if it will benefit your learners because the learners are always at the center of the decisions that we make. And even if it is like a buzzword and it's interesting, if it's not going to enhance their education, mm. then we shouldn't really be exploring it or putting it out there. Some things need to be tested because we don't even know, you know what, what the limitations or the opportunities are. But in terms of being innovative, the one thing... And I often speak about the team that I work with. We are deep in communities of learning. Yeah. We all really want to know more. We understand that we aren't the be all and end all of every solution. And so we're all in various ways involved and plugged into learning communities. We make sure that we have networks that are beyond us, that are beyond UCT Online High School. And I think looking to other countries as well and understanding where they're going, seeing if it fits within our context, that's really where innovation um, comes in. And as I mentioned, like the learning communities and the sharing communities that you have, you might find someone who says, oh, I read this article somewhere. Is it something we can explore? And there are always those conversations around, can we explore it? Let's test it here. Let's see if it's going to work. Let's send out a form to our parents to see if it's something that they do want to do. And that's really how we innovate. Again, with collaboration, we can't innovate in isolation. Absolutely. It has to be something that will benefit them and that they understand. Because like even with conversations around AI, we might find that it's beneficial, but if they can't use it to, put, yeah, to create that benefit, then what's the point? So it's often this cycle of investigating, collaborating, trying to understand it, rolling it out, pulling it back if it doesn't work. And that's how we continue to innovate. Right. I, I really appreciate how you're saying, you know, if it's not broken, well, there's nothing to fix, right? <laughs> and then that's often the thing that I've, I've found very fascinating about the concept of innovation. It's everyone's always talking about innovate, innovate, but then it's like, but if something's working, give it time. <laughs> Give yes, it time, we have yes. it tried and tested. So I really appreciate that about um, UCT Online High School. Again, regarding technology, there's a lot of, you know, there's cyberbullying sometimes, um, hacking, cybersecurity is such a huge thing now as well. Um, how do you safeguard your print, your IP, your students, etc.? I think that's an interesting one, actually. I they, think they've been interesting. Yes, I mean, <laughs> I've been saying interesting. Let's find another one. <laughs> oh, you can see that I'm not in the classroom anymore. <laughs> um, that question actually raises a few other questions around like IP protection and safeguarding. So let's talk about IP protection as one thing. 
if you do want to have quality education, how much IP should you be protecting? And that's one question that UCT Online High School has asked, and that's why we have our free curriculum. The free curriculum that is available at no fee to anybody is the same content that our paying learners use. So what our paying learners have is that additional support, student well-being, they have our counselors, they have our virtual clubs, our academic team, they have a support coach, there's the Connect Ed app for the parents. So that's the additional service that we offer. But is it right to, when you have quality education, is it right to protect that IP when education is a human right? So I think that that balance is quite critical to understand. And we're still navigating understanding that balance, right? But we do have our free curriculum. And so in that sense, it is available for anybody. We do have T's and C's in terms of how you can use it and repurpose it. But that's not something that we, you know, are keeping to ourselves. Um, then we do have some additional things like safeguarding. Mm. Safeguarding is very interesting because they is a lack of understanding of how deep that goes. So you had mentioned cyberbullying, you had mentioned like data hacking. So those are quite obvious things. And then we do have challenges that come up that we don't even understand, you know? Like if a learner is registered with us, but there's one laptop in the home and the parent has to go in office that day, what is that access? Is it an infringement on the right? How do we navigate that? Is this a safeguarding thing? Because safeguarding is making sure that our learners are in a safe space that where they can thrive and meet their full potential. So what we've done is that we do have our, our wellbeing team, as I've mentioned a few times. So our wellbeing team has counselors, they have an academic support. So we have our engagement manager who looks at the virtual clubs. And these people work together to look at the additional support that would really make the holistic learner and understand them quite deeply. And they help us understand what do we need to do to make sure that a learner feels like they can thrive in our environment, but also in the environment that they're living in. Because when you're working for, or when you're learning from home, home isn't always a safe place, mm. you know? And so how do we then get flagged for that? Because when you're in a school, you can see when a child yeah. walks in and something has happened, you can see that this child is coming from an unsafe environment. And so safeguarding goes then into those depths of like, where do we start entering those types of discussions? What's our responsibility? How do we collaborate with other organizations like the Department of Social Development? And then make sure that this network, again, collaborative, because none of this can be solved by one institution. Um, another thing when you're asking about access is like reliable Wi-Fi. Is that UCT Online High School's responsibility to make sure that everyone has reliable Wi-Fi? It can't be. But if we all focus on what we're trying to solve for and be really good at that and work together, there can be a ripple effect on this one solution. And so UCT Online High School has zoned in on quality education that recognizes the holistic learner and we collaborate with other organizations that want to be great at their solution and then we start to see the effects of that in our learners and what they're able to do while they're with us. Mm, I love that. Oh, I'm having a moment. <laughs> I'm having a moment. I love this because you speak with so much care. And 
I think the bedrock of everything is, 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 is caring, actually caring about the students, caring about what it is that you're doing, caring about yourself <laughs> enough to say, because I received this type of education or because you have access to this type of education and this learning format, I will make it my duty to ensure that you get the best. And I think that's really commendable. You're welcome. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? <laughs> um, remarkable. <laughs> remarkable. In the same way, the, the online high school is so reliant on technology. I'm sure anything with technology, it's, it's, um, it's completely aligned with data. And how do you use data? I'm sure you use a lot of data-driven insights and decisions. Uh, what's the intake we got for this year? What factors were we looking at when we were intaking? How do we advertise? Are we advertising in a certain space? Um, the way learners log in to their systems and their classrooms, how do you kind of go around um, the significance of data and using that to make um, decisions? So data-driven decisions is at the root of yeah. everything that we do, okay? Again, we have to make sure that it, it is the best thing for our learners and their families. And so feedback is quite a big one. We do collect a lot of data, like you said, in terms of what is available in technology, but this is then to further enhance what it is that we've done. So for example, we can see when a learner has logged in, what subjects they've logged in to and when. What we do with that information is that we are able to then remind them and send an email to say, it's Wednesday, you haven't logged in. Please remember, you have all of these things due. This is how you work through it. We then are able to use our own internal data to make things like work plans. We look at what assessments are available for the week, what are the components they need to finish, and then we present a timetable for them. So they don't even have to make their own timetable. They log in, the timetable is there. So any data that we use is always to enhance and better what it is that we're offering. Then we also use the data to support parents because most parents are working parents. So we can't expect them to sit the whole day and be like, what have you done in the last hour? Now they can just log into the Connect Ed app. They see when a learner hasn't submitted. When something gets marked, they can see the learner's mark. They're able to see what is due in that week. When it's cycle tests and exams, they can see that schedule. So we make sure that it, it is to the benefit of our learners and guardians. And then we also make decisions based on that. So simple examples is if we see that very few learners have submitted a particular assessment, it already flags to us that there's something wrong with that assessment. So we dig into the instructions. We look at was it easy to upload or not. We try to get qualitative feedback to understand why so few learners have submitted this. Then we can make a decision to grant an extension as an example. So these are the ways that we use data. Understanding the sensitivity of data, you know, because we all here accepting and rejecting cookies. We know all those things on websites, <laughs> you know. So we do have a data protection policy and we have a committee that sits with that as well. And anytime we're going to use data, it has to go to that committee. It has to be reviewed. It has to be approved. The same with safeguarding. We have a safeguarding committee. Whenever any data or information is going to be shared, it has to go to that committee and be reviewed. So when you are working in this space, you have to be quite um, cautious and conscious of what it is that you're doing. Also, as legislation gets better, you're then also able to understand what it is you must be aware of. So I am an educator. I'm not necessarily a tech officer or, you know, a data scientist. And I require or leverage those people around me 
to explain what it is that we need to put in place and we act accordingly. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I, I have a huge biasness towards anything online. <laughs> I don't want to have to leave the house, honestly speaking. Um, and I will say, I, I appreciate this and I'd love for you to touch on it. Computer literacy is such a big thing, um, something I'm very passionate about, especially amongst young people who are tradition transitioning towards the real world or university. Um, I would assume that some may continue university online and some may just maybe go on a traditional brick and mortar type of university. But being able um, at an adolescent stage to you know how to navigate navigate the computer and know what apps to use and know how to utilize Microsoft and the different um, apps and softwares available. It must be, it's, it's, I'm sure on your end, you're like, oh yeah, they're used to it by now. <laughs> but when you get into the real world, you find that you know people who are in their 40s have to kind of go back and learn computer literacy, the basics of the basics they can't even use. And then they try to get someone, hire a secretary who, who then charges them a whole lot more because they know how to do it. So can you maybe touch on that? Because just being able to navigate and really have a full understanding of how a laptop or a computer works, for me, I think is absolutely outstanding. Mm. Yeah. Never assume that people know things. Yeah. <laughs> we learned that the hard way. <laughs> so the, we actually have two onboarding processes. We have the general orientation course, which is for our learners. And then we have the guardian onboarding. And in there, we also embed the little pieces of computer literacy things like how to convert a word document to a pdf mm. that's part of our general orientation you can never assume that anybody knows how to do this again because of the diversity of our community you can actually we should all assume that a learner joining us in grade eight has never owned their own laptop wow. that should actually be the baseline that you're wow. starting from and you build from there so you might have learners who have, and that's great. They can skip through those sections of the general orientation course. But we always try to accommodate understanding that not everybody has the same level of access to technology. So we have built that into our general orientation course. In each of our assessments, there's also very clear. So you can't always assume that everybody has the same access to technology. You must always assume the baseline, that the first learner coming in in grade eight, this is the first time that they are owning their own laptop. Some don't even own their own laptops. So we do explain how to convert a Word document to PDF. And even if you've done it a million times, we're going to remind you every time how to do it. And I also think about myself as somebody working online. There are things that people talk about and I'm like, I've never in my life heard about that application and I will Google it and I will learn more about it and do my best to understand. Um, I think even prior to joining UCT Online High School, I tried to avoid Excel with the depth of my heart, you know, but now as a data-driven organization, like I know formulas, I know how to import other sheets into the sheet that I'm working on. And I think we have to just always assume that people are on that learning journey, even with computer literacy. And so, again, when you think about the holistic learner, it's not just about the maths curriculum, the geography curriculum. It's about their application as a person and their presentation in society and who they are going to be when they leave the school. And that's not just about their mark in these various subjects. It's about the additional soft skills that they need to enter the work world. Because also not everyone's going to go to university. Some people are going to go straight oh, yeah. into the workforce and they need to know this. That secretary that you're going to hire and pay all of that, that might be a graduate from UCT Online High School and you're going to pay that person the money that they need to 
because from a young age they can use all of these applications and they do have that computer literacy so again the interesting thing about preparing for the unknown we don't know where any of our learners are planning to go after high school we don't know what skills they're going to need to participate in society we don't know globalization i mean the world is getting smaller and smaller and more accessible so if a learner of ours dreams to work in america what are the skills that could at least set them up for success maybe not like answer all of their questions but at least allow them to think for themselves and be self-led and be leaders because we do need more leaders in our country 100 percent um that was that was so good we do need more leaders in our country i think in africa in general um when you think about or when you compare let's say southern africa with like western africa and you know how google had um i think i don't know if it still had was it facebook or it was twitter it had a, a head in um um i think it was ghana i think like it just seems so advanced when you compare with ghana i'm, I'm from botswana so botswana compared to south africa i'm just like oh my god this is incredible <laughs> and you go to ghana and kenya you're like oh wow you guys have so much and so and then you go to the Western world, they're just way, way advanced. It was the first time um, post our inter, um, prior to our interaction, I hadn't heard of an online high school. Mm. So to me, I'm just so fascinated at my smaller level, but there are systems in place in Western European countries where it's such a normal thing to be so completely virtual and they thrive in that. Um, why, how do you kind of see that particular educational landscape? It's interesting because I, I think we can all learn from each other. So my educational experience, I've worked and done teacher training in the US. I've worked and done teacher training in Europe. I've taught in India. I've taught in East Africa. I've experienced quite a lot of educational settings and very vast types of settings from private to public schools, rural, township. I've been in a lot of these kinds of spaces. And my mindset is always, we're all doing good for our spaces and we can all learn from each other so as much as there are advancements like with online schooling and assessment internationally they definitely have advanced much further than we have but there's less of a reliance on community which is something that's quite fundamental in our country and in africa in general so when you then come back and try to apply these things you have to say okay what is the best of what they've done and how is it best placed in our context so yes, we want to have those advancements, but then would a learner who experiences that be able to work in South Africa if they want to stay here? Because you also don't want somebody who's gained these skills that are not applicable in our context. Again, the unknown, you know, and I think people are very uncomfortable in the unknown. We thrive. UCT Online High School thrives in the unknown. We love like, what ifs, what ifs, what if they go there, what if they go there, and then try to create this most applicable environment for these learners because we dream big on their behalf and i think it's quite interesting or at least we hope that it translates to them and that they're dreaming big for themselves as well and um, so in terms of that learning i mean i remember when i was teaching in tanzania i was teaching six-year-olds and at that time they were already learning what was in our grade two curriculum which is significant right and i was teaching in a rural school i was a volunteer in tanzania and I was like, this is very scary for me, you know, that this curriculum is so much more advanced. Even in India, I was teaching in Islam and their general knowledge. I was like, this is not general knowledge. This is, you Google this stuff. This is not general knowledge. OK, but it just made me realize that there is so much that's good, even in places you wouldn't assume that you'll find good. 
And the question is then, is it good for us? Ah. Is it good where it is? Is there a collaboration that can make it good for everybody? And then you start working in those conversations. And it requires a level of also being, being content with self, you know, and going back to you can't be the solution for everything. You can't do that. But what you can do is be the best at what you are solving. And if we each thrive to do that and work together, I mean, the world is so small. When I was in school, I didn't even think about going to a different province to study, to be honest. I think that was only something that came up in grade 11. And again, because of my background and where I came from, we know what's around us. We knew what we could see. We didn't have the internet, you know. I mean, I thought Stellenbosch and Cape Town were next to each other at universities. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? Like, the, there was a lot that was limiting in terms of what we knew growing up. And there is a certain level of niceness because ignorance can be bliss. So you're not always wanting because you feel like you have everything that's around you. But then when you're able to look at what do other people have and be able to admire that, but not feel like you lack because of what they have. I think that is what's important in Africa specifically, but also when you are trying to solve something like education, I mean, education is a UN problem. This is a world problem, yeah. you know? So it's not like we're trying to solve it in this small little South African place at the bottom of this continent. Um, and what UCT Online High School is actually asking the global question, you know? Would it be problematic for a British learner to be attending at UCT Online High School? Mm. Why would it be problematic if our, if our education is high quality? Yeah. And if it's globalized, you know? Imagine a world where people from European countries of the Western world are proud to attend a school that has been homegrown in Africa. That's where we need to go. And I think that's where, where we then distinguish, or at least in our team, we distinguish between wanting to learn and striving to be like We'd rather be learning than to be striving to be exactly like what's happening in other places. Absolutely brilliant. Um, and in closing, I promise it's the last question. <laughs> uh, as the executive head of UCT Online High School, and I'm sure you've done a lot of observations, you've read a lot, you've done a lot as well. How do you see the future of online education in South Africa and its impact on the potential of the educational landscape in Africa in general? Lots. I've got lots of ideas in terms of that. But I think the first one, again, you know, a learner shouldn't, the quality of education that a child gets shouldn't be dependent on their parent's salary or their financial circumstances. That's the first really big thing. The second thing is location shouldn't limit you. Parents shouldn't be in a position where I'm choosing from the five schools in my suburb. It should be what is the best school for my child and what my child needs. That's where they're going. And that's what online high school can do. And so making sure that the South African community and the, even international, because we do have learners from outside of South Africa, that people start thinking of online schools as a schooling opportunity, not an alternative to brick and mortar. Because ask yourself, what does my child want to do? What is best for them? Does my child, for example, have a physical disability and the school can't accommodate them? Let me look at online schooling. Is my child a professional tennis player and they're going to miss too much school because of their touring? Online schooling is best suited for our family. Does my child suffer from long COVID and so can't actually be in physical spaces because it's detrimental to their health? Online schooling is an opportunity. 
is my child a high achiever and doesn't actually need their teacher standing up there from seven to online schooling is an opportunity. So the same way as like you would choose between if your child is, is good at sports, you would want them to go to a, a school that has a good reputation in that sporting. You need to think of online schooling the same way. What does my child need? Where do they want to go? Which is the school that's going to be best suited for that? Then when you're looking at that, you look at which online school, because we all also very different, yeah, right? Yeah. So you do need to look at which is the best online school. Maybe you want a school that has both English and Afrikaans medium as they teaching language. Then you need to investigate those kinds of things. In terms of how it's going to change lives, number one, socialization. We are quite young in terms of being a democratic country. And I think comparing to some other democratic countries, we are quite young, but still quite isolated. Like to, like to what I said earlier, I thought Stellenbosch and UCT were next to each other because the idea of traveling to the Western Cape was so far from my mind when I was younger. I only knew Gauteng because that's where I grew up. Now people can meet people from different provinces, meet people from different countries, from different religions you have this ability to put in practice what you are hoping a democratic country can be. So you don't have 18, 19 year olds who are engaging with other people for the first time in the workspace, in tertiary education. And intimidated education. by them because exactly. they haven't yes, experienced you know, it before or interacted exactly. with them before. Yeah. Exactly. And then understanding sensitivities, right? And understanding that what you know or your environment is not the only environment. Um, so there's a lot that can be done in terms of building an adult community that is in practice ready for the realities of being an adult. I mean, I often say, like, I didn't sign up for adulting. This was not <laughs> what I thought it was going to be. Um, but online schooling allows you to experience bits of it. And it's a slow, it's a gradual release of responsibilities. So in grade eight, you start to teach them time management. How do you make sure you've gotten everything done? But here's a work plan to help you out. Then in grade nine, you start to ask them, you know, what virtual clubs do you want to be responsible for? Then in grade 10, you start asking, like, please remind your parents to check the guardian port. This gradual release of responsibility makes sure that there's so much more to this individual when they graduate, you know, and I think for the country, for the continent and for the world, it's important for us to realize that we need to start teaching that at a younger age. 18, 19, 20 is way too late it's for too that. Late, yeah. yeah, Absolutely. And thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure talking to you and learning from you as well. I think one of my biggest takeaways um, is that while you said education is a right. And I think with that right comes the choices. We have a right to choices. And I think that's stripped away from so many of us because we don't have access to those choices. And I think it's beautiful what UCT Online um, High School is doing. And I think Thank you're absolutely you. beautiful inside and out. Thank you. And it's been a pleasure having you join us. Until next time, thank you and God bless.